Thank you for stopping by at the Movie Marquee. Our podcast reviews well-known movies and contains spoilers. The podcast may contain mature subject matter and mature language. Listener discretion is advised. Enjoy the show. Get on set. Places, everybody. And action. Welcome to today's drive-in double feature. Today we're going to be talking about the legendary Kevin Smith and our first movie is Clerks. With always are my faithful sidekicks, Ted. You know, there's a million fine looking women in this world, dude, but they don't (laughs) always bring you lasagna at work. Most of them just cheat on you. And Ken. I'm not even supposed to be here. And of course, I'm your host, Eric, bunch of savages in this town and on this podcast. So thank you all for uh, joining us. Hey, Ken, tell us a little bit about the particulars of Clerks. Okay, Clerks, starring Brian O'Halloran as Dante, Jeff Anderson as Randall, Marilyn Gelati as Veronica, Lisa Spoonauer as Caitlin, Jason Mewes as Jay, and Kevin Smith as Silent Bob. This was directed by Kevin Smith, produced by Scott Moiser and Kevin Smith, written by Kevin Smith. It was released on October 19th of 1994 by Merrimax Films, running time 92 minutes. It was budgeted at 27575 230000 was added after post-production, after Max bought the film, and took in $3.2 million at the box office. Cool. Boy, October 1994. What was, uh, what was the big movie then in October of 94? Stargate. Oh, yeah, Stargate. That's a, that's a great flick. I mean, there's a lot of great stuff on TV at the time. I know 94, let's see, I was just out of high school. This is before all the big, you know, Netflix and Prime and all the, all the uh, internet stuff. You had cable, but at this point in, in my life, network TV ruled. Great show. Frasier. Friends, obviously, you're binge-watching that right now. Seinfeld. Yep. Roseanne. Murphy Brown. Some, I mean, some of the, the iconic 90s comedies uh, aired during this time. Mad About You. Oh, yeah. House, TGIF. TGIF. That is right. And Must See uh, Thursday. Yeah. NBC ruled at this time. So this movie obviously came out in October of 94. It had a low budget, made a little bit of money. What did the critics think of it, Ken? Clerks received an 88% on their tomato meter, which is certified fresh. The audience score was 89%. Richard Corliss of Time Magazine said, the film looks no more expensive than it was. Some of the acting by local non-professionals is particularly amateurish. The story is a series of anecdotes about hockey, shopping, and loving the one you're with. But it's worth loitering around in the shop. That is a horrible review. That is a bad review. That's the one you chose? (laughs) It actually was a positive review based on Rotten. Wow. Hey, it's a $27,000 movie. (laughs) It looks like crap. (laughs) It looks like shit. (laughs) It's black and white. He said it was worth, you know, hanging around to watch the movie, guys. Come on. I know. I know. It's just kind of funny how he worded it. I'm like, hey. Roger Ebert of the Sun-Times said, Clerks is so utterly authentic that its heroes have never heard of their generation. He gave it three out of four. Nice. Hal Hinson of the Washington Post said, amateurly-ish acted, clumsily edited, and slapped together out of what looks like surveillance camera footage. (laughs) 
Well, that's because it was supposed to look that way. The thing bumps along that's not awesome. so much on talent as on audacity. So is this another positive review? That's, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of like a kick in the mouth. Backhanded compliment. You guys got to understand, not every review was 100%. And then, <laughs> no, but if it's a positive <laughs> review, you usually don't say, hey, it looks like crap. Looks like surveillance video. <laughs> but it was supposed to look like surveillance video. That's great. And the funny thing is, they turned out the surveillance video in the movie. You know, yeah, the, right? I know. But the extended cut. So John Hartle of Film.com said, At 24, Smith also knows something about casting. Using a mixture of stage actors and novices, he found the right ensemble tone to make Clerk seem spontaneous as it needs to be. And there's there a positive here. review. Exactly. <laughs> Well, the first one I gave was positive, Richard Corliss. I guess. It's kind of like saying, hey, I'm glad your dog died, but he led a good life. Right. Well, Roger Ebert said nice things. He gave it three out of four. Roger Ebert loved the movie. Yeah, Roger Ebert was always yeah. a Kevin Smith fan. Obviously. Now, Ted, you've got the, uh, the hard job right now giving us the plot. The plot of Clerks. Yeah. Clerks tells the story of a day in the life of Dante Hicks, a lovable underachiever who in his post-high school life has found himself stuck in a rut. Dante works as a clerk at the Quick Stop grocery store. The day in question begins with Dante being awoke to the news that his co-worker, who was supposed to open the store, can't, and he has to go in and open. Dante continually laments the loss of his day off, but agrees to go open the store. Dante's morning consists of interactions with a variety of different customers, but Dante is saved by an angry mob of customers by his girlfriend, Veronica. Veronica is a college student who recently transferred schools to be closer to Dante with the hopes of getting the directionless Dante on a path in life. Veronica and Dante get into an argument over how many sexual partners they've each had. After Veronica leaves to go to school, we are introduced to Jay and Silent Bob. Jay and Silent Bob are two minor marijuana dealers who hang out in front of the Quick Stop and RTS video store. After more interactions with customers, making Dante's angst over being at work worse, we are introduced to Randall Graves. Randall is Dante's best friend, and he's also a clerk at the RTS video store that's connected to the Quick Stop. Randall, like Dante, is an underachiever that has no sense of direction in his life. He is different from Dante, though, in that he is honest with himself and others to a fault about his station in life and is happy living his life as a clerk. Randall takes a certain amount of joy in tormenting the various customers of both the Quick Stop and the video store. Dante's day gets worse when he finds out that the owner of the Quick Stop, who is supposed to relieve him at work, is in Vermont and will not be coming into work, thus leaving Dante to work open to close. Just when Dante thinks that the day cannot get any worse, he reads in the paper that his on-again, off-again ex-girlfriend, Caitlin Bree, is engaged to be married. Caitlin and Dante have been talking in secret, and she did not tell him. These two events send Dante into a downward spiral. Dante, feeling more upset over the events of the day, becomes very disillusioned and closes the store to go play hockey on the roof of the quick stop and video store after learning about the death of a former girlfriend dante closes the store again to go to the wake caitlin then shows up at the quick stop to surprise dante she says she's visiting him because she knew that he would be upset over learning that she was engaged to another man she convinces dante that she does not love the other man and in fact wants to try to give dating dante another shot 
Jay and Silent Bob come into the quick stop after their quote-unquote shift is over, and Silent Bob in one line convinces Dante that he does in fact love Veronica. Meanwhile, Randall finally takes initiative, decides to inform Veronica that Dante's still in love with Caitlin. Veronica then understandably breaks up with Dante. After learning that Randall is the one who told Veronica everything, ending their relationship, Dante tries to beat up Randall. The two proceed to make a mess of the quick stop, and Randall tries to impart wisdom to Dante. The thing are as never as bad as Dante makes them out to be, and that if Dante stopped complaining and lived life, he would be much happier. Dante realizes this and the two make up, and it's finally closing time, ending the day. All right, that's a, a great summary and wrap-up of the movie. In spite of those positive reviews that Ken went over earlier, let's talk about some of the early production of this movie. I think it has to be said, obviously, that a movie that's made on a very modest budget of $28,000 is revolutionary in today's monetary speaking, but especially in the early 90s, um, how he made this movie. Let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Kevin Smith worked at the convenience store that this film was filmed at. He had to use store at night, preferably, I believe, after 11, up to 5 o'clock in the morning. And they worked three weeks straight on this. Little to no sleep for the actors because they had regular jobs. Yeah, that's why the shutters had to be closed in the story, because they needed to shoot at night. And they, they couldn't afford to have the big lights outside to illuminate the inside of the store from the outside like it was daytime. In fact, originally the story was supposed to be about what happens overnight in a convenience store. All the crazy people that would come in on an overnight shift was his first draft. Interesting. I think the uh, the draft you went with probably shows a lot of the crazy people that come in just during the day by themselves. <laughs> yeah, it really captures that aspect as only he can. The other thing about the production that they kept it on a tight budget was he chose people, of course, that were his friends, but he also chose people who were local community theater stars, essentially, like Brian O'Halloran and uh, what's, what's her name? Jaluti. Not that easy, is it? No. <laughs> I can't think of her first name. Uh, I'm, I'm with you, man. I'm drawing a blank, too. I got to go to the... Uh... I'm up, Marilyn. Marilyn, Marilyn Jaluti. I would agree, Ken. I mean, using these characters, using these people that are not famous, they're locals, obviously on his budget gives it just that great local feel. And these are all friends of his. I mean, it's like just making a movie with a bunch of buddies and having a great time. And one thing he did with his friends was he wanted to write this for specific people that were his friends. And he actually had them audition for those parts and they really didn't work out. They couldn't play themselves. It's interesting that Kevin Smith was actually going to be Randall originally right. in the film. That's why he wrote all the funny quotes for Randall. But Jeff Anderson was wonderful in the audition. He was up for a different part, but he, he was, was supposed so, to play Jay. He was supposed to play Jay. And he was so charismatic, he decided to cast him instead as Randall. The random people in the scenes are like crew members that right. would come in and just do a small acting bit. The producer, Scott Mosier, Willem. he plays, yeah, he plays Willem Snowball. Snowball. And Snowball. he also plays the, the customer who climbs yeah. on to play hockey when they're playing hockey on top of the quick stop. It's also good to know that they had to go very light budget. And at this time of frame in the 90s, it was less costly to film in black and white. That's why we're seeing in black, white, and not in color is because of the cost. Yeah, it's also easier to edit in black and white than it is in color as well, too. 
So you, you have the list of characters, obviously. Ken, you want to go over some of the characters you did earlier? We can kind of uh, go over them and kind of move into the, uh, the ask you verse. So the characters out there are Dante, Randall, Veronica, Caitlin, Jay, and Silent Bob are our main characters. Dante. Let's talk Dante. Well, Dante is a whiner. <laughs> Dante is a guy who, it's his day off. He's not supposed to be here in the convenience store, but he gets called in because he's, he's promised that he'll be off by 12 so he can play hockey at 2 o'clock. And then, of course, it all snowballs from there. Yeah, his uh, boss goes to, what, Vermont or something? Vermont skiing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's got uh, Rando, who works in the store next to him, the video store. Rando is late. He doesn't care about his job. He's a slacker. I mean, really, they're both slackers. One has a different sense of responsibility than the other. They're supposed to be the stereotypical Gen X prototypes of how people, how the baby boomers viewed Gen X. Well, the guy who returned the video, I mean, that was clear as day. That was your, you know, greatest generation guy calling the guy slacker. Right. I think he captures in those two characters what they're, they're supposed to look like the worst aspects of Generation X that are out there. And I think that's what makes them funny because they are over the top, especially Randall. I mean, yeah, Randall is what, if you've ever worked in a situation like that, Randall is who you want to be the person that you think about being, but you know that you can never really do it. But Randall does it. I think that makes him endearing because anybody who's actually done a job similar to this completely understands where Randall comes from. Actually, I don't understand where Randall comes from because Randall is mean-spirited. He's mean to start with. It's not like he's responding to a rude customer or a bad person or whatever the case may be. He's already rude to them before they can even be rude to him. I don't want to be Randall because Randall is a jerk. These guys remind me of people who used to hang out at Denny's late at night, and everyone at Denny's was an expert. They had all the world's issues ready to be resolved, but they were also the slackers that didn't want to go to college. They didn't want to go into the workforce. They basically just wanted to hang out at Denny's at two o'clock in the morning and tell everybody how the world was wrong. This is what these characters are. Oh, definitely. There's definitely an element of truth in that, but I don't know. I don't know how to put this i enjoy them i think they're funny i think they're people that i relate to i mean if you've worked in retail who hasn't wanted to just tear into the the random customer just because they're so ridiculous it's over the top Right. (laughs) It's so over the top. Exactly. Customers that are portrayed there, they're caricatures, but they're caricatures of real life customers. Right. The whole trope of the customer is always right is just, it's ridiculous. When Randall's sitting there, he's reading the paper, he's ignoring the customer. Right. And then he blames her for her ruse. (laughs) feel better about yourself <laughs> i mean Rand, randall is the is the over the top he is like the the revenge he's what you want to do to these people right. if you're a retail person that you couldn't do it's impossible to do what both of them do i mean when randall's behind the desk with um with dante he spits the water on the guy the guy know? who likes the tabloid headlines yeah yeah or he or he's reading about the guy who cleans up stuff at the at the you know the, <laughs> 
But do you really want to be that guy? I'm so offended. Yeah. Do you want to be a guy, though, that spits water at a person for being annoying because of tablets? Yes. I, Honestly, I've, I've, I've never worked to. retail, but from people I've talked to, yeah. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> for sure. I, I have worked retail. Yes. There are customers that deserve to be I don't think spat on. Deserves to be spit on because he was talking about the tabloid papers. It wasn't like he was attacking the guys behind the counter. I worked in retail for a very long time. I mean, I worked in like grocery store business for over a decade. And I never, ever wanted to do something like that to a customer. But Randall hates customers. Yeah. It'd be a great job if it wasn't for the customers. Right. He basically wants to be paid to do nothing. Pretty much. He doesn't like people, but he likes gatherings. That, that he does. That he yes. Does. Yeah. I like it when he's like late to go into the video store and you have that lady who's waiting for some <laughs> She's movie. waiting for so, dental school. Dental, oh, yeah, dental school. Yeah. And he's like let's, trying to let's... open up the door like he doesn't work there. And she's like, oh, yeah. he's not here. He's like, I bet you 20 bucks that I can get that movie before you. The problem with that is we never found out if he got the 20 bucks. No. I, I somehow doubt it. It's pretty funny. Let's talk about our favorite scene in the movie. You got to have one scene that you watch that you just laugh your ass off every time you see this scene. I know what mine is, and I'll bet you will probably overlap with one of you guys. So my scene, obviously, is going to be when he's ordering the videos on the phone. When the mom walks up and wants that that little happy scrappy video. hero pop, happy scrappy hero pop. The behind the scenes footage of that is I I remember um reading that when they did the Q and A. Jeff Anderson's like, you know, my mom's gonna see this, and he's like, I can't say these things, and Kevin's like, don't worry about it. And then like a minute before he gives him, you know, he writes down all of these titles, and then he goes like a minute before he gives me the list back, and Kevin he has another four titles, so he just going through this list and it's hysterical i mean that's your nc-17 rating right there oh yeah for Uh, sure so my favorite there's so many for me and picking out one particular i love when dante is with the old guy who's returning the video and that old guy comes in and you know that he's exasperated by the fact that one the store's late and being open and why he continually comes back to the rts video is beyond anybody's knowledge about why he does what he does. Right. But he does go back and then Dante throws his keys away. Yeah. Got your keys. <laughs> That's so, I know that interaction with the customer. Yeah. It's, it, it makes me laugh every time. Well, that interaction is I'm okay with like something like that because the customer was mean spirited and I didn't have a problem with like Dante doing something rude back to him, like taking his keys. He also said something to him. Randall's night job as an air traffic controller. Right. Oh, right. Smart yes. ass. Yeah. <laughs> I like that because he was being rude enough to him for no reason. I mean, Dante didn't do anything to him. And so I'm okay with the retribution back to the customer in that case. Not just for people, though, that are just annoying. If I had one scene, and it's a very small scene, I really love Salsa Shark. Oh, I love Salsa oh, Shark. Salsa Shark. Yeah. I, no, no. I just love <laughs> it. Need a bigger boat. <laughs> yeah, we're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got that little tortilla chip in there and yeah. you know, circling it around. And I'm just really enjoying that part a lot. It's small, but for me, that's just the highlight of the film for me. And I know it's, there's so many other great parts. Ken, why did you choose that one? For me, it, it's different from everything else that's in the movie. 
we can't talk about favorite scenes either without talking about the Death Star and how the independent contractor died on the second Death Star because it wasn't finished being built. And this is where I say that the dialogue is so brilliant because a lot of those, and even having these lesser known actors, some of those interactions between Dante and Randall, they got it in one take. And there's so much back and forth. I think one of the critics who liked the film compared it almost to like David Mamet, where it's so intricate the back and forth dialogue that it it has to be spot on because otherwise the other person misses the cue and it's actually just like real life talking back and forth i absolutely love it i think the dialogue is real life talk but i don't think that the delivery is real life talk i feel like unfortunately they're reading off of a script it feels like a dialogue read everybody come in and read for this part it feels like they're reading a part and i think this is more for the first half of the movie especially Maybe it's because of the limitations. Maybe it's because they are not film actors. They are theater actors, which theater acting has a different type of style, pronunciation. And then on top of that, Kevin Smith does not want you to stray away from the dialogue. And as you said, Ted, that you probably don't want to because of the writing. If you go off script, it's going to ruin probably that screen. But it feels a little stale at times. You know, it's funny, Ted, that you brought up David Mamet. David Mamet actually wrote a book in the 70s called uh, Sexual Perversion in Chicago, which obviously turned into About Last Night, one of my favorite movies. And when I think about About Last Night, I just thought about this now. You've got those scenes with Belushi and Rob Lowe where they're, you know, going back and forth, back and forth. And those, that conversation between those two actors is so natural that you feel like you are actually part of the conversation. And in Clerks, I actually felt like in some of these scenes that I was part of the conversation. I didn't feel like when I watched this movie that they were reading off scripts a lot of the times. To me, it actually felt natural. Yeah, I did, I agree with you 100%. I think you almost feel like you're not only just a part, but you're actually, you're witnessing two people having a conversation as well. And I completely agree with you, Eric, on that. Like you're at it's, the register just listening to it. Right, exactly. You know? Yeah. There's no natural pauses in some of their talk. For me, it's like they're reading through the whole thing instead of natural breaks. Sometimes it's not like that, but sometimes it's very much like that. But how many times are we bantering back and forth talking about something and it's it's like that, where we move one to the other. I mean, Especially I can, on a topic or a subject you're really knowledgeable about ex- and exactly. passionate. Yeah. I credit them on how they did. There are definitely a few times in the movie. Jason Muse's last speech at the end, where before he and Silent Bob walk out for the last time, yeah, there's definitely a couple of parts there where you can tell that he was being fed lines or he had forgotten, but... Jason Mewes was drunk during that period of time, actually. And high. I mean, hardly ever sober. Drunk and high. In fact, Kevin Smith had to take that last line. That was originally for Jason, the one that he delivers to Dante. Kevin Smith took that on. Silent Bob wasn't supposed to speak at all. But Jason could not get that line out. But even with that, I think it brings a level of authenticity to the movie that makes it look, feel like you're there, where it's because it's not perfect. Because if it was perfect, I think it loses something in how everything fits together. Especially you're going to see that when we do move to his next movie, which is Mallrats, where everything is kind of more 
Big time production. Big time production right. and and some better, bigger stars are there. So I think there's an endearing quality to the low budget. It makes you feel like you're in the quick stop or the RTS video. I agree to a certain extent, but a low budget film also, there, there is low budget quality in some aspects of this movie. I love the dialogue, but I just feel like, it, for me, it's not as natural as what you guys are saying. I'm kind of surprised that you guys feel that it flows naturally, the conversation. I just remember even at the beginning of the movie, they're talking behind the counter and it, the conversation is just one where, especially with Randall. Well, he controls the conversation most of the time. But how Randall talks, it's kind of robotic a little bit at times whereas i think brian who plays dante he's a little bit more natural he's a little bit more talks a little bit easy going but when i hear jeff anderson do randall correct me if i'm wrong i don't think he was even a serious actor at all not even on stage he didn't want this part he didn't want this part at all because it was too challenging for him he said and in fact marilyn his co-star didn't think that jeff anderson was up for the part she just think that you know the casting was wrong here I do think that's wrong because even though he's robotic, his presence and what he says is funny. You got to love the little shimmy that he does in how the movie when he presents himself. When he does the Randall. The Randall. He has that robotic sarcasm that is Randall. Yeah. And he's feeding off of the emotional overtones of Dante. Because Dante, he doesn't fly off the handle, but he kind of loses it here and there. You know, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm at the hockey game and all this stuff. And he just has these kind of, I don't want to say whiny fits, but they are kind of whiny fits where nothing phases Randall. Right. Nothing phases him. And I think that upsets Dante a little bit because he's like, why doesn't this phase you? It does phase Randall because Randall takes it out on his customer. In other words, Dante complains, Randall takes it out on people. I just think that's Randall's natural uh, life. I think that's yeah. I think that's who he is. And the, one of the reasons that I connect with Randall is because, and this is kind of funny because I get a lot of my sense of humor and sarcasm I got it partially from some of the movies that I watched and I'd realized rewatching this over the time, how much of my sarcasm comes from what Randall does. You talked about the mom and daughter scene and she looks at him and, and she goes, and she loves it. And he goes, obviously yeah. I do. I do that constantly. It's directly from this movie. I can't help it. Randall is part of my brain. He's just always there. And I like Randall. Doesn't your characters have to have a redeeming quality? Does Randall have a redeeming quality besides ripping on customers? He's the voice of reason. When Dante finally loses everything, it's Randall who brings him back at the end. Randall made him lose everything. Randall was a very big contributor to him losing everything. Randall really does like Dante a lot, and he wanted to do what he thought was best for him. Obviously, <laughs> you don't want to do what Randall did and interject yourself into your best friend's uh, love life, but I think legitimately he was not trying to hurt Dante. And I think he knew down deep Dante would screw that interaction with Veronica up completely. Well, the good thing about Rando was the scene where he's talking with Caitlin and he's saying, so you guys going to like try this again? And she goes, yep. She kind of felt like a woman's instinct that, that this time it might work. He basically told her that you mess this up and kill you. I'll kill you. Yeah. yeah. He's protective. That's the, 
he's protective. And maybe that's the one thing that I like about Randall is that he does really care about Dante. But outside of Dante, I wouldn't want Randall as my friend. I'd be scared to have Randall as my friend because I'm worried about what he might do. A lot of things he does in the convenience store is when Dante is working. Like when he spits the water at somebody or he sells the cigarettes to the (laughs) four-year-old kid. (laughs) He does these really bad things and the person that gets in trouble for him is Dante. Yeah. At that age, didn't we all have that one friend who... Yes, and they're not my friend. always, (laughs) Always got you in trouble. And even though you weren't a major part of it, but they always seemed to get you in trouble. So I understand that. I would want Randall as my friend because I think Randall's hilarious. But we've talked a lot about Caitlin and Veronica. So are you a Caitlin person or a Veronica person? Ooh. Um, Combination wow. of the two. Oh, that's a tough one. I'd go with Caitlin, they, Caitlin's looks, but Veronica's attitude. You know, they each have redeeming qualities in themselves, but man, I'll tell you, Dante is just obsessed with one. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. And we've all been Dan- there. How does yeah. Dante have the 12? I just don't get the way that Dante is, how he has been with 12 women up to this point, especially if he dated Caitlin for what, five years? Was it five years? Yeah. He's only 22 years old, and he dated Caitlin for five years, but he's been with 12, 12 girls. And she cheated on him like five it's times, time. you know? Eight yeah, times. eight times. No, eight eight and, and, half. and a half. Eight and a half. That's right. Cause, and she inadvertently drove man to a deviant lifestyle. Right, right. Well, that was because she thought she was sleeping with somebody else, but it ended up being Dante. Dante, so that's the half. That's right, the half. right. <laughs> and the two guys moved to like Vermont or something, Utah. No, they moved to Idaho, <laughs> Idaho. And to, raise, to raise sheep. Yeah, yeah. But the funny thing about Caitlin is, is we only hear bad things about Caitlin, but when we're introduced to Caitlin, she seems like a sweetheart. She seems like somebody that's willing to give Dante a real, real chance here. She doesn't come off being this, you know, well, I, don't maybe. I don't know. But she broke his heart. Yeah, I don't know. We've all been there. We've all ha- Oh, yeah. The person Obviously that you're we... hung up on. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you just can't, for whatever reason, they are mean to you or whatever. You just can't get them out of your system. And yep. that's totally Caitlin. who Caitlin is for Dante. Veronica truly loves him. Let's be honest. Exactly. She moved schools. Right. To come and try to get him out of his rut. She actually cares for him. And obviously Silent Bob's line at the end says it all. Exactly. Yeah, and he, sums it up. She actually has real feelings for him. And it's interesting to watch Dante. He comes off as such a underachiever, slacker, and basically ne'er-do-well. But he has this psychological logic for everything that he does about his manifestations about why he needs to break up with Veronica to go with Caitlin. He's an obsessive, is what he is. He completely overthinks and obsesses about everything. Goes to his story where his mom told him that instead of lifting the lid on his potty, he just pooped his pants. (laughs) When faced with a decision, he doesn't know how to react. And I think that's what Randall was trying to do when he told Veronica about, about Dante and Caitlin. But we all had that one person, too, that you wanted so bad but you could never really trust them. That's Caitlin in a nutshell. And everyone else sees it, but you. Exactly. 
Oh, yeah. And because we've had that, too, where all your friends then say after you've broken up with somebody, oh, thank you for breaking up with them. They were such, they were horrible to you. At least Randall has the guts to tell Dante, dude, she is horrid to you. But it doesn't change Dante. But at least Randall has the guts to say what other people are thinking. Well, he does say it, but at the same time, though, he kind of butts out, which is kind of funny because at the end of the movie, he, he basically tells Veronica what's going on. But he, he's saying his piece, but not to the extent of you shouldn't go after her at all. He's kind of throwing it here and there, but not strongly. But I'm just saying with Caitlin, when we actually see her and how she presents herself, we don't see that person that we've been hearing about this whole time. In fact, we feel bad for her because, well, <laughs> then she she ends up going in the back uh, bathroom and ends up with that guy who's dead and has sex with them and she's canatonic at the end of the film and you feel bad for her you don't feel like she got what she deserved because we really didn't see her ever treat Dante bad it's kind of funny just watching Scott Mosier's character throughout the movie when he's playing Willem. They call him yeah. the idiot man child. Just like all over the place, he's climbing in the ambulance. He's just like right, everywhere. Right. It's insane. I think it's crazy uh, that you have all these friends and they're playing all these different parts. Yeah. They're all over the place and you have to watch it because you have one guy maybe has three or four parts. He might be playing uh, the guy with the eggs, but he's trying to find well, that perfect carton of eggs. Oh, yeah. That's Walt Flanagan. He yeah. Plays, he plays five different roles yeah so you have him playing dad then he the offended the customer right. yes he goes up to the counter he plays that guy who's offended by what they're talking about and then you have rando show him the magazine that he's looking at and he's like running <laughs> out. you can see your kidneys yeah <laughs> Kevin Smith's got his friends all over the place. He's got a sister in, in the movie. She's the one that describes what the guy is doing with the eggs. Now, one of the things, obviously, I found very interesting about this movie is his friends and how a lot of these people are continuing on to his other movies throughout the 1990s, his, his Askewverse. The Askewverse. The Askewverse. Is, so in the Askewverse itself, Clerks technically takes place a day after Mallrats. Correct. I have figured this out. It's like trying to figure out the JFK assassination. Trying the girl, to make sure the girl who had the heart attack, or Julie had, Dwyer. Julie yeah. Dwyer. She had an aneurysm, right? Right yeah. in the pool in mid Baxter, and that was the funeral they went to. Right. Yeah. So Randall is related to Brody from mm -hmm. Mallrats, right? Through their mutual cousin Walter Graves, who yep. died trying to suck his own dick. <laughs> And Alyssa Jones, who was the main character from Chasing Amy, is mentioned because she's friends with Caitlin. And also, and then, of course, we meet Rick Darris, too. Rick Darris, yes. And then, of course, you know, there's Jay and Silent Bob and, and Dante. But Dante really doesn't make another appearance in the Askewverse, but Brian O'Halloran is in every Askewverse movie, in some form, always a Hicks. Did not know that. In Dogma, he is a reporter. Yes, he is. And his the last name Hicks Yeah, as one example. But they always pop up. Those are the main hits for the Askewverse and Clerks that set up everything to come into the, the next movies that live in that universe. So did he have this in mind when he wrote Clerks to have this kind of universe created for these characters? Or is this something that just kind of spewed after this movie was completed? He never really says. Yeah. And I think it's one of those things that just kind of came together because he wanted to set everything in and around his hometown. So it made sense 
well, these people have to interact with each other at some point, right? Right. Because even though they live in New Jersey, we all know like there's three towns that are so close together that it's like being one city. So these people would have had to have had interactions or familial connections. So in a way that all just kind of lent itself to become this greater thing. It kind of seems like, though, that these actors need to rely on this kind of universe, too, though, because outside of this universe, they're not really in much that can go back to their limitation as actors, maybe? Um, maybe. Some of the I characters mean, are expanded know. a little bit in, in Mallrats. Outside of this universe, though, do we see these actors in anything else? They pop up every now and then in something. Take like Jeff Anderson. It was hard for him to branch out from Randall because Randall is so iconic because you're always going to be known as Randall. I mean, it's like Stifler. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, but at the same time, the actor that played Stifler went on and did other movies that I actually seen. Jeff Anderson, I can't remember any other movie that I've seen him in outside of this universe. And I have enjoyed it, but I understand where you're coming from on that. Interesting note, uh, Jeff Anderson, who played Randall, and Lisa uh, Spoonauer, who played Caitlin, they got married after this. If you watch the film, when he's uh, talking to the Caitlin character and she walks away, he, he checks out her behind. <laughs> yeah, he does. He doesn't do it because it's in the script. He does it because he's interested in her, and Kevin Smith just decided to keep it in the film. Isn't that kind of Randall's character, though, too? That's I why mean, he kept it in the film. Was yeah, it's was something that Randall would do, but he didn't do it because of the character. He did it because he had the hots for her, actually. Well, yeah, I mean, it's understandable. What about the Jay and Silent Bob characters? We haven't really touched a lot on them. What do you guys thoughts about Jay and Silent Bob? I think in this movie, I don't think they were the key characters. They were more backup characters. They were kind of honing their trade, if you will. I think in his other movies, obviously, Mallrats, they are more of a, a key yeah. starring role, obviously. That movie is almost based around them. Yeah. Jay and Silent Bob, I kind of made an, a quasi-connection. They're almost like the Greek chorus of the movie, where they have a commentary about a lot of different things that happen, but aren't really the main part of the movie. I find Jay and Silent Bob hilarious. I think, I think Jason Mewes is funny. And it could be because I still have some juvenile humor left in me. Mm-hmm. But I, I think when he's on screen, it's always pretty funny. And of course, you want Silent Bob to say things so bad, right. and, he never, and he never does. Until there's that moment that he has to say something. We'll talk about it at another time. But every time he does speak, it's always something that's relatively profound. That's true. This part was written for Jason Mewes. It's based off of him. When it didn't work out originally with uh, Jeff Anderson to play Jay, because, well, it didn't work out because he got Randall, which, you know, the better part. Jason, did, <laughs> he was nervous to play himself. They said that they had to take two weeks to, to teach him how to be himself. Exactly. <laughs> the dance scene that he's doing outside, there's no cameraman behind the camera while he was dancing because he was self-conscious of himself. So they all had to leave while he was doing his thing. Fun fact. I think personally, Jason Mewes is lucky to be alive with his uh, drug abuse and his. He's had uh, some. He's had some. He's had a tough life, and I think he really does have Kevin Smith to thank for him just being alive. For sure, mm. which is a, a, an extremely positive thing. So I had mentioned like the Greek chorus because Dante's day and his existence is supposed to kind of mimic 
the divine comedy and the nine levels of hell that's one of the reasons that they use the words to break up each interaction kevin's also said that that's how dante got his name i've always thought that that's an interesting that is interesting it's an interesting way to look at the movie too because dante does descend into his day continually gets worse and he causes his lamentations of i'm not even supposed to be here today it all culminates with a girl that he's supposed to try to make a future with having sex with a dead guy and it's kind of his fault that the guy's dead it's one of those things that i find amusing and i think that's part of why i've come to watch it with a different eyes as i think about that and look at the different stages of how everything is it makes it more interesting in my opinion i don't know about you guys that's interesting you bring that up i've never really uh, thought of watching it that way but you're right his day just gets progressively worse and just culminates to where he just loses it he snaps well he snaps because there's a glimmer of hope he believes that he's going to be with caitlin he even tells randall why he's not upset at him for causing him that 500 hundred dollar fine right he's happy caitlin's gonna take him back and they're going to be a couple and then all that changes with the dead guy and the funny thing about the dead guy i love the fact that just before they reel him out they have the sheet over him and (laughs) he still has his heart on and they actually have the magazine on top of him yeah Yeah, the core. Is it Willem looking at it or something too when he's yeah. in there? Yeah. yeah, it's insane. It's crazy. And the and the corner's like, what kind of convenience store are you running here? <laughs> you know? What kind of store are you guys running? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, this must be the craziest thing you ever saw to the corner. And she's like, no, there was the. Yeah. the guy sucked his own dick. He's just trying to suck his own dick. <laughs> And, and did you notice when she says that, Randall, like, moves away and he goes yeah. the other way? Yeah. Yeah. But we haven't also talked about the fact that these two, that Randall and Dante, they go to a funeral home and they knock over the corpse. Knocks over the corpse. That's just a little insight as to the type of people that we're dealing with. They're so self-obsessed that you can only imagine what Randall did to knock over the coffin. From what I heard, it was a scene that was supposed to be, he tosses the keys to Randall and he tries to catch him, but then he falls on top of the casket. Right. The less I know about that is better because everything that's in my imagination is even better because I could totally see Randall just leaning on the casket just to talk to somebody that he had not seen in a while it's funny and it's that particular scene that led one of the things that led me to the movie because my friend that i had class with he's like they knock over a casket you you had me at that i had to see it the movie at that point i think it is kind of weird though they knock over the casket then you have i don't know if they're family members there's three people that are out there that are mad at them chasing them or whatever the case may be in fact one of the actors was actually a male actor in drag pretending to be a woman but then they get back and it's like late at night and this place was what only half an hour away something like that yeah yeah there's some really weird continuity issues with this movie a little bit but signs keep disappearing and popping back up yeah you have people magazines changing tv guides changing (laughs) because it was an active convenience store kevin smith had to work during the day at the convenience store and then they had to do all these different things to it they had to change things up they had to unplug the freezers and stuff like that but again twenty-eight thousand dollar movie you're not going to have perfection here 
You don't want perfection. And you don't. But even the big budget movies goof up with all that stuff as well. Uh, given the $28,000 budget, I think this is a very good movie, given that budget. With help from his friends, it, they even said if this never became anything, they could at least be proud of what they did. I think they'd definitely be proud of what they did. I mean, they created a social phenomenon. I mean, after this, Jay and Silent Bob had spots on MTV. That's the level of heights that Kevin Smith rose to so fast with this movie to be able to direct these little spots on that aired on MTV, which at the time MTV was still hot. MTV still showed music videos. It created a cultural phenomenon. Well, how about his little scene flying car on uh, The Tonight Show? Yeah, this movie, it just morphed into a phenomenon. I think that's pretty impressive for a movie that never made it to more than 50 screens at its height. A movie nowadays debuts on over a thousand screens, and it was never on more than 50 at a time. I think that's also because they didn't have faith in this movie. Weinstein did not like this movie when he first saw it. He walked out 15 minutes in because the first scene is about smoking. And he was a big-time smoker. He got up and left, and he passed originally on this movie. And we haven't talked about that first scene, which is very interesting. The guy comes in, buys some coffee, and then he's like, can I drink this here? And he's like, sure. And another guy comes in, he tries to buy some cigarettes, and then he tries to talk him out of the cigarettes. The Chulis yeah. gum rub. Yeah, try this gum instead. And then, you know, everything works fine. And then Dante's like, hey, can you not do that? And he's like, sure. And then the next guy comes and he starts doing it. They're now against Dante. He gets them all riled up against Dante, calls them basically Nazi, you know, for... <laughs> throw cigarettes at him. Yeah, they're throwing cigarettes at him and re- relating the, uh, the cigarette industry to the Nazis. It is until Veronica comes in with the... The fire extinguisher. Fire extinguisher right. and ends it. They find Who's out leading that. this mob? Harvey didn't like that scene and walked out after that scene. This film doesn't get made if it wasn't for just the right things happening at the right times. I would agree. Let's talk about the one thing that really kind of threw me for a loop here. And I found this out years and years and years ago. And of course, this is a potential spoiler alert for anyone who is listening. So if you haven't seen any of the extras or the raw feed or the original VHS copy of this when it was uh, released that he, I think he recorded on VHS or something like that. Obviously, we all know how the movie ends in the theater. But let's talk about how it ended originally. It's a little darker. A little. That's a little darker. Yeah, a little darker. To set things up, so originally the way the film ended was that you had Randall walking out doing the Randall and reminding him that he's closed and then it goes to music. He throws the sheet that's hanging on the steel doors to him and goes, hey, remember, you're closed. Right. And that's it. But in the first cut. The original, the director's cut, if you will. He actually goes behind the counter He's reading like maybe a newspaper or something, magazine, and some person comes in and then Dante is like, oh, we're closed and then realizes has a gun and the guy shoots him and steals the money. Right. He's dead. Yeah, he's dead. dead. Kills him. And then Kevin Smith comes in later and gets a pack of cigarettes, you know, right behind the counter. Right. He's got no beard. He's got like what, like a ponytail or something. Different look to him. Yeah. That's a totally different ending. I mean, it's just... extremely dark. And when I first saw that deleted scene, it changed my opinion of the whole movie. It did. Exactly. You talk about the divine comedy. It turns right. into a tragedy. Yeah. We just went from a comedy right into a tragedy and you feel heartbroken. 
at that point. I'm very glad that they changed that because I don't know if I would have still loved the movie as much if that was still the ending. What I would have done with that ending, if they would have kept that ending, was actually had uh, Dante say, I wasn't supposed to be here today. I think that would have summed up the whole movie. And the only other reason why I would have kept that scene was then we wouldn't have Clerks 2, because Clerks 2 is horrid. Yeah, yeah, it's not even the same movie. You couldn't, you didn't even have to call it Clerks 2. I'm sorry, guys. I like Clerks 2. It makes me laugh every time I watch it. I love the characters of Randall and Dante. The fact that they go then to a fast food restaurant, to me, is... Movie burger, a movie. 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 Movies, yes. yes. That fact alone, it's a natural progression for them. And the fact that it's been 10 years and they've not gotten above clerks. They're still clerks. Dante doesn't run the store. And of course, neither does Randall. Right. It's almost perfect. And I love some of the jokes from Clerks too. There are parts of that movie that I still quote on a weekly basis. I think they're so funny. I think it would be different if it was two years later and not 10 years later. Because here's my thing. Maybe. I feel like these two characters, after all they said towards the end of that movie, should have grown up. And to me, in Clerks 2, they're even worse than they were when they were Clerks. I think they're almost funnier at some point. I know Clerks 2 is not for everybody, but it hit me, and I laugh. I, I can't help it. And some of it's so childish, but... When anybody like says that they have a ring, I always quote that scene from Clerks too. The one ring to rule them all, and it just it makes me it makes me chuckle. I guess so. I mean, it's, if Clerks and Good Burger went together, <laughs> oh, oh come that's, on, that's now. not that's, even fair. Come know, is on, not fair to Good Burger is that what you're oh. saying? Uh, no, because oh, I mean, horrific. Come on movie. now, it's that's, a much better movie than Clerks too. I mean, no, even I won't know. That's I, no, I'm come not on, buying Ken. Dante and Randall ten years later in Clerks too. With the same attitude and well, Dante is still- really they're still the same. I mean, these what part of the end of Clerks made you think that they were going to progress any further? As because pe- they they're talking about how they want to change things. He's not going to go into work the next day because he's going to check up on Caitlin and see how she's doing and patch things up with Veronica. So it looks like he's trying to do the right thing. And then in Clerks too. He's, again, having a problem. He's got this, you know, this girl that they've been together and I believe he impregnates. He basically doesn't know what to do. And I'm sorry. It's just for me, 10 years later. Ken, look at it this way. All right. Clerks 2, if you didn't know Clerks 1 existed, could be its own movie. Yeah. It could be just Clerks. And you could start out with just that. I'm not going to compare it to it being its own movie because it's not its own movie. But you're comparing it to Whataburger. (laughs) <laughs> burger yeah I, come on now that's that's low that's clerks 2 has its issues but yeah, yeah. there's a reason it's, why he hasn't been able to make clerks 3 clerks 2 was bad clerks 3 is going to get made clerks 3 where are they going to be next where are they going to be working i i don't know i'll see it. I'll, I'll be the, right there waiting for it what's the progression at the end of clerks 2 he buys the the quickie mart right like that right of course the the video store is going to have to be out of business Right, right. The video store portion is going to be gone. But you know what? I'm going to be there to see it because I'm invested in these characters. I like these characters. And I did like some of the characters that were introduced in Clerks 2. I liked Rosario Dawson's character. Oh, I did not like her character at all. No. See, I did. No, I thought that's what really, for me, that's one of the worst things I thought about the movie. Yeah. 
Yeah. But he, needed, really, he needed somebody. It ruined it for me. Is, what tracks people to Dante? Dante is an underachiever. He doesn't want to have any type of responsibility. He's mediocre looks. He's not. Because ultimately, he is a good guy. He ultimately is a nice not, guy. He strings along his girlfriend for what seven eight months he's not a good guy he's just holding on to this girl to wait till caitlin comes back with dante it's just weird because i would think with somebody who was dedicated at the job because he was dedicated he wasn't what like randall was he, he wouldn't was have come there. in yeah he stayed the whole time he could have left at noon he says you know i'll walk if you're not here at noon he could have done that but he doesn't do that i just don't see what why he's up to 12 women at this particular time and one for five years it doesn't make any sense they're just not likable i don't think they're likable characters at all there's things that i find funny rando and how he goes after customers who deserve it i laugh at those i don't laugh at when he spits at the customer because to me there's nothing cool about that i wouldn't yeah, want to think i deserved it <laughs> I, the guy I totally deserved it. Deserved it. Deserved Randall it. deserved to be punched in the face. I wish that Dante did not step in because, of course, Dante is the one that basically has to fix that. Randall does not have any repercussions of what he yeah, does. He has to fix all of Randall's mistakes. And we've right. all had that friend. Yeah. Right. And I don't like those friends. That's why I don't have those friends anymore because they are a burden on my life. And so I don't like Randall. I like the Veronica character. I I love the dedication of her. Thirty-seven. Uh, yeah, that's that's that dedication. Cool. That, that, that that's that's a little bit a red flag there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've only been a little bit. I've only slept with two people, but gone down on thirty-seven guys. And we don't get enough of Jay and Silent Bob in this. We enjoy them a lot more in the other movies like Mall Rats and Dogma. Yeah. One of the things though that is endearing about Randall is he knows who he is, and he's fine with being him. Good for him. I could care less. <laughs> Randall to me is, I don't want to be Randall. Randall is going to be a jerk the rest of his life is how I'm looking at it. Will Randall ever grow up and become a man? In my opinion, probably not. We'll see in Clerks 3, I guess, if that ever gets off the ground. Well, there's a script out there. He's said it's done, just like there's Revenge of the, the Mall Rats. Mall Rats 2, mm -hmm. Electric Boogaloo. Where <laughs> half the stores are closed. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> we'll save that when we talk about Marantz. Let's talk about some of the, uh, I know Ken has a whole slew of them, of the errors and omissions that were found in this movie. Yeah, Eric, I got a, a few omissions, uh, some mistakes here. Uh, so the administer of fines states that the little girl was sold cigarettes at 4 p.m. that afternoon. That's impossible because the sale occurred before the hockey game, which was at 2. And Dante and Rando went to the wake at 4. There was problems right there with the time frame. And then after Randall sells the cigarettes to the little girl, Dante remarks that all the prices end in nine, yet all the price tags in the shot end in five. Dante the one that I noticed that's big for me is the shoplifting sign on the front of the cash register pops up and it disappears, appears and disappears randomly, sometimes in the midst of a scene. So one that I, I read here that I noticed too was Veronica's fire extinguisher sprays CO2, but we see her holding a water fire extinguisher. Fire extinguisher is hanging up in the next scene after she asks him for the ID. The fire extinguisher is hanging up at that time. Here's what I'm going to watch next time. It says here, the clothes worn by the mother asking for happy, scrappy hero buff change. Yeah. <laughs> I love the name of that movie. Happy, scrappy hero pup. <laughs> And then Dante's goatee gets longer and longer throughout the movie. 
Yeah, because they did took different shots because Kevin Smith asked them to completely shave the goatee off. And then when they were filming, they filmed out of order. So his goatee looks different. Changes, yeah. That should be a movie he should make. We didn't discuss it much, but the list of those movies. (laughs) Oh, it's great. Kevin Smith should make a movie called Happy Scrappy Hero Pup. Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) That would be perfect. First two movies sound like they're legitimate movies. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then it just goes south from there. (laughs) Uh, because it's a song come on eileen i was just cracking up yeah i know (laughs) that makes me laugh every time too that's great well one of the interesting things about this movie is this is one of the first times and i think could be possibly the only time the mpaa the ratings organization gave a movie an nc-17 rating with no violence no nudity just dialogue yeah there were no cuts made But they did file a grievance, and Alan Dershowitz, the famous lawyer, actually took the case, and the MPAA moved it down and gave them an R rating. And the interesting thing about that is is Dershowitz, in this time frame, 1994, he's still with the OJ case. He's big On the side of OJ at the time frame, same thing. Yeah, He's part of the dream team. Dream team, yeah. This is adult humor. This is Richard Pryor, George Carlin, Red Eddie Fox. Murphy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I like that about this because if you're hanging out with your guys, I said this before, and you're just shooting the breeze, this is how people talk. And I think that's one of the things that leads it to be endearing. And to change that would take a lot from the movie. So I'm glad they ended up with the R rating. I would correct you in saying that there was violence. I mean, you had that wonderful fight scene. (laughs) I was really, really pathetic. I wish they would have just not even done that. Maybe take a couple of punches or something like that. But to be honest with you, it was kind of... But neither one of their hearts were really into hurting the other guy. So... Right. But I loved it. Like when he he walks into the door and Dante grabs him by the neck. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. That was for me like very Three Stooges-esque. Very much so. I just felt like it was a waste of film shooting that fight scene. It really showed how these guys have like no physical ability at all to fight. It's all words right. with these guys. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've come to the end here. Let's talk about what we think of the movie. Ken, what do you give this bad boy? Oh, what do I give this bad boy? I think the word bad. No, I'm just kidding. As far as this movie goes, I'm going to give this movie a C plus. I like certain aspects of this movie, but I always tell everybody that I need to be engaged with the particular character. I got to see myself in that character or want to be that character. And I'm different from Ted in this aspect. I don't want to be either one of these two characters. I don't think they're likable. These characters remind me a little bit, and I like Seinfeld, but remind me of characters who are just all about themselves. What happens to me, 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 and how people affect me, me, me. Even though there's a part of me that resides inside myself like that, it's not to the extent of these guys. And I know they take it to the extreme with these two, but by taking it to the extreme with these two makes me not like these characters. In the original shot where Dante gets killed at the end, I'm okay with Dante getting killed at the end because I'm not invested. I don't care what happens to these two characters because they haven't given me a reason to care about them. Good effort by Kevin Smith as far as dialogue. I love the dialogue. What he did with $28,000 is amazing. You know, low budget gets sometimes low grades. Hate to say it. Wow. Okay. Well, I will go with my rating here. Ted made an interesting point here. That uh, original ending with Dante getting shot 
completely changes the movie for me. This goes from a just a happy jackass buddy comedy movie, just nothing but laughs and fart jokes, if you will. A happy scrappy hero pop. Happy scrappy hero pop to this serious, they killed him off. I'm like, oh, I mean, it just completely changes the movie for me. I was engulfed in the character. So when Dante was killed, it changed my whole perception of the movie. I really took it hard. Like uh, Ted said, it's like, whoa, it just changed everything in this movie for you. I did feel emotionally attached to these characters. Clerks for me is my third favorite Kevin Smith movie. My first being Mallrats, followed closely by Dogma. And then comes in the clerks. That being said, being number three, I give this movie an A. So that tells you how much I love Mall Rats and Dogma. I don't give it an A plus because there are a few scenes in there where you're kind of like, eh, okay. It doesn't have that complete perfect flow of a great movie but i still think based on the amount of money he spent the characters he used the people he used his friends people with very little acting experience i felt the movie flowed beautifully i give it an a ted my letter grade for this movie based off of what i've said throughout the course of the podcast my letter grade is an a the way i look at this movie and my final opinion of this movie is i enjoy this movie i enjoy it a lot it makes me laugh I kind of have a sarcastic bent to me and my humor. I'd never get offended by anything. This is right up my alley. The whole movie is right up my alley. I love a lot of things about this movie. And it has to be an A for me because the things that I don't necessarily care for, which are so small, there's no way they can outweigh the amount of fun that I have with the movie. We didn't even talk about Olaf and the Berserker. That... (laughs) Just a random character that's stuck in there, but it's funny. It's a funny antidote. I do like the characters. They're not supposed to be likable, but there is an endearing quality. This is our generation, guys. We all know people that are very similar to these people. We know people who are bits of these characters. How are we in this age? I mean, we're in our early 20s, right? Exactly. This is what we were essentially what we were like also too, what leads into my grade do i rewatch it and this is a movie that every few months i go back and i watch it again because i can sit and i can watch and i can laugh and i know i'm gonna laugh i don't have to worry oh is this is this gonna be stale for me now i still laugh and so that leads me to my a And you both have said where this kind of ranks in your Kevin Smith. And I think I'll probably reserve how I really feel after Mallrats. There's one movie that's above them all for me. And then there's a couple that are bunched together. And that's in the second tier. It's right there. It's below dogma for me. Dogma to me is for many reasons. And I hope that we do talk about it someday because that was a life-changing movie for me too. It's right there I, I with Mallrats and Chasing Amy. I liked Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. And of course, I, I'm a sucker and I liked Clerks too. So if it's Kevin Smith, I'm on board. And so that leads me to my A. All right. Well, there you have it. Thank you, everyone, for uh, joining us today on this podcast. And stay tuned for our number two movie in our drive-in double said feature. Two. <laughs> yeah. Mallrats. Coming up, stay tuned.